Bibles, if you would, to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3. Last week we concluded the message with an abstract story, if you would, uh, where Mordecai, uh, in in the last, I think the last three, yeah, the last three verses of chapter two, Mordecai overhears a plot to kill the king. So uh, he passes the information on to his cousin Esther, who's the queen. She passes it on to the king. Uh, an investigation that takes place. Uh, the guilt the, the the two guys are found guilty of plotting to kill the king, and then it just the story just drops. There's there there it, it doesn't seem like it goes anywhere. It just it just kind of drops. No recognition to Mordecai to anybody for uncovering the plot. It just it just kind of just disappears. So <clears throat> as we are developing this the book of Esther. One of the, I'm just going to come right out and say, one of the fears that we can get into with a book like Esther is, number one, we, we get so caught up in the story, and we've talked about this in past weeks, but we get so caught up in the story, we forget the purpose of the book. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The other fear that I have as a pastor is that, that this becomes just me communicating a story. And that's not the point, is it? I mean, we need to learn something from these stories. And, and, and we need to, you know, the Word of God, the Bible says that every, every word of, of this book is there for a reason. And every word is there to teach us something. The book of Esther, the purpose of the book of Esther is, is solely not about the story, but about to communicate to us that God is in control. We call that the sovereignty of God. And if we we cannot lose sight of that promise that God is always in control. No matter what's going on around us, God is always in control. Amen. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yesterday, the day before, last couple days, I got a text from somebody and said, Pastor. Are you worried about the Equality Act that's going through Congress right now? And the exact wording was, do you fear it passing? Anybody have an idea what I said? I said, no, I do not fear. I said, as, as, as believers and as Americans, I think we should be concerned, but I do not fear the passing because God is always in control. I can pillow my head at night no matter what's going on around me knowing that God is in control. So as we as we unfold this story, so please don't get caught up so much in the story and the characters of the story, but allow God to use these characters in the story to reinforce in your heart and your life that he is in control. Because when we're going through it, when, it, when we're in the thick of the battle, can we not lose sight of the fact that God is in control? Absolutely. <clears throat> so, having said all that, we'll continue here with, the, with this. God has introduced to us, in verses 1 and 2, four of the five characters in the story. 
We have Vashti, the first queen, who is now off the scene. Esther is the second queen. Mordecai and a guy named Ahasuerus, or, or his real name is, is Xerxes, the king. Now, in chapter 3, we're going to be introduced to the last main character, and that's a guy named Haman. And Haman is a, he's a not a good guy, okay? He's the villain of the story. In fact, that's the title of my sermon this morning, The Villain. Okay, every good story has got to have a bad guy, right? Uh, And uh, Haman's it. Haman's the bad guy. Uh, But before we really start peeling back the layers of of Haman, we need to kind of, for those of you that have not, uh, were not here last week or not not last couple weeks, you need to kind of understand where chapter three is going. And in order to do that, we have to do just a little bit of review. So let me kind of blow through this as quickly as possible. But in, 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 in chapter 2, verse 1, <clears throat> there's an interesting phrase. It's, it, and that, it's these three words, after these things. Now, <clears throat> when you read something like that in the Bible, you need to stop and ask the question, what things? Okay, and and we've talked about this, so I'm just going to kind of go through this. So these things in chapter two are referring to everything that happened in chapter one. Plus, there's a four year period between chapter one and chapter two. So uh, 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 Xerxes uh, tried to invade Greece, Uh, Greece in one battle, wipes out his entire army, takes out his entire fleet in another battle. So really, in two battles, King Xerxes is completely humiliated and wiped out militarily. And he goes home with his tail tucked between his legs, and he has nothing. He, he lost his army. He lost uh, a, a, a fortune. He spent a, spent a fortune doing this. And he's, he's in, absolutely humiliated. He goes home. And the foolish thing is, at the end of chapter 1, he banishes his queen, Vashti. Yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> and, and, and so he has nobody to go home to. So that's chapter 2. That's these things. Now chapter 3, surprisingly, starts off with the same three words. Look at chapter 3. After these things. So what is the question we have to ask? What things? Okay. So these things include all of chapter 1, the the four-year period between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and chapter 2. Does that make sense? Now, the one thing that we is not given here, and it wasn't in uh, between chapter 1 and chapter 2, but the time span between chapter 2 and chapter 3 is, again, four to five years. So from chapter 1 to chapter 3, there's eight to nine-year period of time that encompasses these things. Now, we know what some of them are. Uh, Esther's made queen. The old queen's put away. His armies are defeated. His navy's gone. Uh, all of these things have taken place. So, 
that means after eight or nine years between chapters 1 and 3, these things means after all the turmoil, after all the things of life that have happened over the last eight or nine years, these things, life is starting to settle down. Finally, the king, his kingdom is at peace. After all of these years, things are starting to settle down. After these things, for, for eight or nine years, turmoil and war and, and loss and de- defeat and disappointment and discouragement, and you keep, can continue to fill in the blanks. These things. The king finally was at a point in his life where he was wanting to kind of, for uh, uh, to use a 21st century uh, vernacular, he was wanting to skate through the rest of his life. After all of these disappointments, after all of these horrible things, after these things, let's read chapter 3. After these things, I did... Uh, King Ahasuerus uh, promote Haman, the son of uh, Hamalatha, uh, the Agagite, and advanced him to set his seat above all the princes that were with him and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate, bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did he, uh, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the, in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandments? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and hearkened uh, not, <coughs> hearkened he, uh, and he hearkened not, excuse me, uh, unto them, that they told Haman to, to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he <clears throat> had told them that he was a Jew. And when Mordecai saw, excuse me, when Haman saw uh, that Mordecai bowed not, nor uh, did, have, did him reverence, then he, uh, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed to uh, showed him the people of Mordecai. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout all the whole kingdom. And Ahasuerus, uh, of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this day and thank you for your love and Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct in our lives and that you would help us, dear God, as we look at your word this morning to apply these things to our lives. And Lord, help us never to lose sight of the fact that you are always in control. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Immediately, well, here we are introduced to this guy named Haman. Haman, again, is the villain. He is, um, he, he, there's nothing good said about Haman anywhere through scripture. But 
you cannot help but ask yourself this question. What kind of hatred would cause a man to want to exterminate an entire people group? Okay, see here, Haman finds out as soon as, okay, he finds out that Haman, uh, yeah, Haman finds out that Mordecai, there's too many names here, okay, (laughs) Haman finds out that Mordecai is not bowing to him, and what's he do? He gets mad at Mordecai, and he wants to, he, he wants to lay hands on him, he wants to, he wants to, you know, he wants to hurt the guy, because he's not, he's not showing reverence to him. But then when he finds out he's a Jew, what does he do? Immediately, the hatred kicks in, and he says, now, I don't want to just get my hands on Mordecai. I want to kill all the Jews. What kind of hatred is that? That is a a hatred that most people cannot get a hold of. So, we understand that the purpose of the book is the sovereignty of God. But here we are shown this man, Haman, to have a a burning hatred for a people group. So we we naturally would want to know why. Well, in order to answer that question, and and hopefully this doesn't get too far off track, but it, it helps us understand what's going on. My first point is his ancestry. <clears throat> In verse 1, it says, After these things did Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamanatha, the Agagite. So he's, he's identified as an Agagite. Now, in our society today, that means nothing. So, Again, we have to start asking questions. What in the world's an Agagite? Okay? Because every word in this book is here for a reason. And he's identified as an Agagite for a reason. So, what's an Agagite? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> in 1 Samuel chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 7 to 9. It says, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havana even, uh, un, uh, uh, until thou comest to shore that it uh, over against Egypt. And he took who? Agag. Agagite. Agag. He, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... And the people saved Agag. He didn't kill Agag. And the best of the sheep and so on and so on and so forth. So, for time's sake, we're not going to continue reading. But the point is this. Who who or what is an Agagite? An Agagite is a direct descendant to the king of the Amalekites, whose name is Agag. So Haman is a direct descendant of Agag, the Amalekite. And now I'm sure everybody's going, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's clear as mud. (laughs) Okay, so. (laughs) 
Okay, so who are the Amalekites? Okay, and this is important, okay? You know, some of you people, and I know a few of you, hate history, okay? I'm sorry, but it's important. You gotta, if you don't understand who Haman is, the rest of the story doesn't make sense. So who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites, we see in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. Okay, so who is Amalek? Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Okay, and (laughs) I'm getting some really puzzled looks out there. Who is Esau? Isaac's brother, or, or, or Isaac's son, but Jacob's brother. Okay, this is important. Isaac has two sons. The oldest is named what? Esau. The youngest is a guy named Jacob. God, in his sovereignty, did not pass along the blessings to the oldest son, Esau. Anybody know why? Because he hated God. The oldest son, Esau, hated God. So the blessings of God fell to the younger son, Jacob. So, in essence, okay, so the Amalekites are descendants from Esau. Israel, or or Jacob, God would later change his name to what? Israel. Israel. So, through the family tree, the Amalekites and the Israelites were cousins. But the, uh, the Amalekites hated God. And it's important that we kind of understand that. Because that describes why Haman could go to, from 0 to 60 in his hatred for the Jews. As soon as he found out they were Jews, or that Malachi, or Mordecai, <laughs> as soon as he found out that Mordecai was a Jew, what kicked in? Hatred for a race of people. See, I'm here, it's what I call generational hatred. It is amazing. But it has been passed, it was passed down then from generation to generation. Every Amalekite or every descendant of Esau was taught from birth to hate every Jew. Now that's, in in our culture today, that sounds crazy. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, they're still doing it. Why, why do you think the Middle East is in such turmoil and will always be in turmoil? Because one group hates the other. Still to this day. And it all goes back to King Saul because God told him to destroy the Amalekites. And what did he do? 
He didn't do it. Consequences. Where's my notes here? Uh, I, I'm, I'm getting so far ahead of myself that I... <clears throat> anyway, let, let, me, let me stick to my notes here. So, let's go back to Haman. Haman was just a bad guy. He, there was nothing good in Haman. In fact, in Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, and as we, as we continue to unfold this book of Esther, and, and we start to see more and more of the life of, of Haman, we will see the characteristic that God gives us in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19. There are seven things that God says that he hates. These seven things, these seven characteristics, we will see all seven of them in the life of Haman. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, it says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that... Uh, be swift to run to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. All seven of these things are evident in the life of Haman. What a very sad way to live, by the way. But that's what hate does. And I'm here to tell you, if, if, if you don't get anything, get this. If you were harboring hatred in your heart about anybody or anything, uh, you need to deal with it. Because it will only destroy your life. And we're going to see that in Haman's life. His hatred is the very thing that destroys his life. Number two, let's look at his authority. Again, uh, the king gives him the authority basically in today's today's governmental structure he we would call him a prime minister he was second only to the king he had the basically he had the authority of the king um but <clears throat> and and in this process uh the uh, the king says okay not only is he going to be the prime minister but i want everybody in the kingdom when when haman is in your presence you need to bow in reverence to haman Excuse me. In other words, it, it, it would. It wasn't just a bow, but it was it was literally getting on the floor and and, and bowing, okay. And and in today's society, we don't do that. You know, the, you know, in the in the Middle East or not in the Middle East, but in the in the Far East, you know, they bow, they do things. We shake hands, acknowledge. That that's kind of what it was, but it, a little bit more substantial than that. <clears throat> but. The king put all this in place. Now, my question is this. Why did Haman, or why did Mordecai refuse to, to, to bow to Haman? Was it, was it a, well, I, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> was, was, 
was Haman's appointment to being prime minister, was it a fair appointment? No, it wasn't. Haman was, or, or, or Mordecai was far more qualified to be the prime minister. But every theologian that I read believes that Haman was a typical politician. And he, and he, and he weaseled his way into the, into the, um, uh, the, the, the inner circle and, and, and kissed up to the, to the king and the king made him, made him prime minister. So, so Mordecai, uh, was was probably not too happy about that. This is another important little side note. Life oftentimes seems seems to dish out injustices, does it not? I mean, each and every one of us can tell stories of things that have happened through our lives that don't, that, 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 that weren't fair. Is that, is that correct? And it would, it would appear on the surface that God had allowed the wrong man to become prime minister. But I'm, I need to ask this question. Who's in control? God or you? God is. And he knows what's best. Now, if you were to ask Mordecai at that very moment, did, you know, who should have been, who should have been the prime minister? Mordecai would have said, it should have been me. But God is the one who's in control. And in order for God's plan to take place in the lives of the Jews, Haman needed to be the prime minister. Point number three. I'm going to skip a few verses here, Chris, so just bear with me. Let's look at his vanity. We're not going to read it for time's sake, but it's obvious that Haman was a little man in a big office. Pride will take people where they don't belong. Albert Einstein once said this, uh, try not to become a man of success, but try to become a man of value. I, I like that. Haman's success uh, may have brought the worst out of him, but it brought the best out of Mordecai. Mordecai, by, by, by Haman being made prime minister, it caused Mordecai to stand. In fact, that's our, my next point. <clears throat> Mordecai stands. Mordecai stands. Look, look at verse 4. Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew. Now in in chapter 1 
What was it that Mordecai did? He hid the fact that he was a Jew. And he told Esther to do the same thing. And now me personally, I, 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 I think that Mordecai made a big mistake in doing that. But he did it. But now that Haman is the prime minister, it's almost as though, <coughs> excuse me, it's almost as though Mordecai drew a line in the sand and said, okay, you know what? I can, I can hold back the fact that I'm a Jew so long, but I am not crossing that line. As a Jew, he probably was quoting to himself Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is uh, in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth that thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father and unto the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, it could be, it could be that Mordecai said, you know what, I am not bowing to this man. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Mordecai bowed to the king? More than likely he did. So why would he not bow to Mordecai? Because, see, again, it wasn't, it wasn't that he was worshiping Mordecai, but that he was showing him reverence. It, it, was, it would be very similar to those of you that are in the military. I know that when I was in the Navy, there were a few officers. <laughs> I want to be careful I say this. Um, there were a few officers that when I saluted them, it was like... <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> Any of you guys ever done that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you, you had to remind yourself you're saluting the rank. You're, you're that, that little, that silver or gold stuff on the collar. Not the individual. So why would not Mordecai bow? I believe, now I, this is just me, I don't know, but I believe it was because he was an Agagite. Had to be. Mordecai had a lot of shortcomings in his life. There's no question about that. But you've got you to admire his courage to stand. He drew a line in the sand. He said, you know what? I'm not going to cross it. Now, we're going to see Haman's hatred for Mordecai develop into a consuming cancer that will absolutely destroy his life. Now, again, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, what, is, what has this got to do with me today? How, what can I take away from this story today for me. Again, I'm I'm glad you asked. Because it's really it's really pretty simple because see 
we started, we're starting to see God's plan take shape. You know, how, how do we see the sovereignty of God work playing out in our lives? We see it by looking backwards. We, we do not, very seldom do we see the sovereignty of God alive and active in our lives today. We look back and we see what God has done in our lives and we look back and we think, oh, I get it now. I understand now. And as we see the story starting to take shape, we see all the key players in, in, in place. And starting next week, we'll see even more of the layers being revealed, how God is moving in the lives of these people. But for today, right now, what is it that we can take away that we can say, you know what, God is in control of my life. I want to remind you of the opening phrases of chapter 2 and chapter 3. After these things. What, what is he saying? Go back in history and look at these things. After these things. Look back in your life. And, and I, I'm here to tell you, if you will do that, you should be able to see the God working in your life to get you where you are today. Amen. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are here in this church this morning for a reason. I don't believe in coincidence. I, I don't. You are here specifically this morning for a reason. And that reason, I believe, is a, a reminder from God to you to tell you, I don't care what's going on in your life right now, I am in control. Mordecai chose to stand. This morning we heard Paul Harvey read or cite, recite a, a uh, series of events that took place in the lives of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Excuse me. And in the last sentence of the Declaration of Independence, they pledged their, their lives, their, their, their fortunes to each other. They knew what they were doing. Now, did they have any idea what was going to happen? No, they cannot see into the future. But these were, these were smart, educated, most of them very wealthy men. They had to have known but I can guarantee you most of these men, if you understand uh, United States history, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were born-again men who love God. Amen. And they would tell you, I am signing, but ultimately I know God is in control. Yes, and if it takes losing my fortune, then so be it. But God is in control. 
See, it is so easy when we are caught up in the moment, when we are caught up in the circumstances of life, to lose perspective of the fact that God is working in the affairs of men. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We need, if there has ever been a time for Christians to stand for right, it is today. We need to stand for right. These things, these things, the the things in your past, it could be money problems. It could be um, some kind of hurt that has come your way. It could be marriage problems. It could be uh, uh, some kind of a disappointment. It could even be the death of a loved one. You know, these things happen to all of us. But there are times in our lives when we, when we traverse through these things in life, we can later look back and say, I can see the hand of God in all of it. Amen. You know, it's a crazy thing. My wife, well, I better be careful how I say that. Let me rephrase that. It is not a crazy thing that my wife and I have been married 37 years. What's crazy is she, she, she lets me live with her. Okay, that's crazy. No, seriously, what, what's, what's, what's funny about anybody who's been married more than two weeks <laughs> is you look back at your life and when you start to reminisce about the good times, it was, it's almost always the hard times that you look back and you think, wow, those were really good times. I remember when we were first married, the first, the first winter that we had, we couldn't afford heat. So guess what we had to do? We spent a lot of time cuddled up in bed because that was it. That was our only heat source. Yeah, a water bed. Yeah, it was electric, but, but still it was, you know what? Going through it wasn't a whole lot of fun, but looking back at it, we, we laugh about it. It's great. God, God moving in our lives. And so often we lose perspective and we misunderstand what God is doing in our lives. And again, let's going back to our story here. We can get so caught up in the story and, we, and, and all of the things, all the moving parts that are happening and we think, what is God? This doesn't make any, this is, no, God is working. And we don't always understand it. But these things oftentimes are the, are the hand of God moving in our lives. Let me close with this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. I will give you rest. God is in control. Repeat it. God is in control. One more time. God is in control. One more time. God is in control. Don't forget that.
let's pray. dear lord, thank you for this day.